0: Breaking news. God makes dramatic appearance in a cloud of fire at a local evangelical church. Shell-shocked congregation seeks to solve world problems and proclaim that they have special access to God after they rebuild the church. Or perhaps there would be an article in the religion section of the Thursday newspaper that says, an individual claiming to be a major deity seems to have attended worship in a local liberal church this past Sunday. The congregation invites you to join them for a four-week discussion group about the meaning of the word God and the possible significance of this event. As Annie Dillard so pointedly asks, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Does anyone come to church thinking that they're going to be playing with a chemistry set, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning? Is church really such a dangerous place that we need to leave our straw hats at home, bring our crash helmets, and be lashed into our pews? Does anyone actually believe a word of what is heard or said or sung? Or do we come to church unprepared or even cynical about the fact that we might actually encounter the holy and be transformed as each of us goes about our lives are we open to the ways God can break through to us at any time at any place usually in a totally unexpected way do you and I really understand that as a people of liberal faith we are called to embrace the journey we are on and to live in the ambiguity of an unknown destination I've been wrestling with these questions after they were raised in my heart a while back when my friend Jonathan called, shocked me with the news that he was homeless, and asked if he could visit. When he arrived, he had quite a story to tell. His once vibrant therapeutic massage business had failed, his partner of several years had left him, and his house had been foreclosed. So he'd sold the rest of his possessions, bought a camper, and had become a wanderer who chose to explore the country visit friends, and look for a new place to call home. It was fun to see him. Jonathan is from Texas and has a delicious southern accent that melts butter. He has an expensive camera, and he took some of the most amazing pictures during his visit, snapshots of the tiniest parts of flowers and dew drops on spider webs, and details most of us never see, let alone linger over and appreciate. We talked a lot about our journeys and shared our struggles, our hopes, and our unique ways of looking at the world. I told him how lucky he was to be free in a way I haven't been for years, and at moments I envied him this opportunity to explore and his seeming comfort with the truth that his destination is unknown. After being here a day or so, he asked me why I seemed almost obsessive with locks and alarms, so I told him my story. A few months before his visit, Someone broke into my house. I talked about how violated I had felt, and that along with some jewelry, the thief had stolen my sense of safety in the world. I shared that I had reacted as most people would. I had the front door restored and the strongest possible hardware installed. I added additional locks and security lights and a wall safe. I even thought about buying a gun to protect myself. I recounted moments of anger in which I had fantasies about building towers with armed guards, digging a moat, getting a fire-breathing dragon, and rigging up all sorts of lethal traps for an unwelcome intruder. Months, months after that event, I was still super cautious and at moments afraid that someone would try to break in again. As we talked about what had happened and how I had finally begun to feel safe again, I realized that as I had closed up my house, I had also closed up my heart and shut down my adventurous spirit. In spite of the promise I had made myself to be open to where the spirit might lead me when it is time to find a church to serve, I had started making my own neat and tidy plans about where I would eventually serve as a minister and how I would lead the next chapter of my life. But as John Lennon once wisely said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. After Jonathan left, I began to wonder if I'd entertain not just a friend, but a spiritual guide sent to help me once again embrace my sense of adventure and to be open to possibilities I had been busy rejecting. I realized that he had helped me to start to look at the world in new ways, and that my heart once again felt open. At the end of his visit, Jonathan suggested I read a book titled The Alchemist, which Ben read an excerpt from a few moments ago. Santiago is a young man in the Andalusian hills of Spain who has become a shepherd because he wants to travel. He has a dream in which he is transported to the great pyramids of Egypt and told that he will find the treasure he is seeking there. So he sells his sheep and sails to Tangier in Africa. After a thief steals his money, He works for a crystal merchant for a year to earn enough money to go home. As he's ready to return to Spain, though, he meets an Englishman who is in search of a 200-year-old alchemist in the desert, and Santiago joins a caravan across the desert. At an oasis, he meets the desert woman Fatima, the love of his life. He also meets a number of other people, a king, a gypsy woman, and the alchemist, all of whom teach him valuable lessons and guide him along the way. And he discovers the true treasures buried within himself. He learns to listen to his heart, to trust what he hears, and he becomes so open to the soul of the universe that he can converse with the wind and the sun. In order to begin his adventure, he had to be willing to leave behind his life as a shepherd, the familiar hills of Spain he knows the comfort of routines, even the voices of his family telling him that life is good and that everything he wants or needs is right there in front of him. He is tempted a number of times to return to the friendly, the safe, and the familiar. But as he learns to trust his heart, he is able to continue to seek his destiny. That book spoke to me, and even though it is a fable, I believe it contains a deep truth about being human with its challenge to its readers to look at their lives and to ask if they've gotten stuck in their spiritual journeys or let go of their dreams. As individuals and a congregation, we are very human in our tendency to stick with what we know and what is comfortable. That's not a bad thing because routines and feelings of safety and familiarity are ways we make sense of life and tools we need to survive. But hurt and disappointment may cause us to lock up our hearts and to stop growing and becoming the people we're meant to be. If we're lucky, though, someone or something comes along that challenges us to open up again and begin to move forward. As Mary Oliver says in her poem, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. Voices that mean well, but as Paulo Coelho says, these voices tell us from childhood on that everything we want is impossible. He goes on to say that we also face the obstacle of love. We know what we want to do, but are afraid of hurting those around us by abandoning everything to pursue our dream. We do not realize that those who genuinely wish us well want us to be happy and are prepared to accompany us on that journey. As if that isn't enough, it's dark and stormy, and the road is full of hazards, and there is probably fear, fear of the unknown, of uncertainty, and even the risk of failure, and the seaward. word No, not church. Change. Do you know how many Protestants it takes to change a light bulb? Change? Why, my great-grandmother gave that bulb to this church. Don't you dare touch it. (laughs) Or perhaps it takes two to change the bulb. One to do it and the other to remark on how well the former minister did it. And then there are we Unitarian Universalists. We choose not to make a statement either in favor of or against the need for a light bulb. However, if in your own journey you have found that light bulbs work for you, that is fine. (laughs) You are invited to write a poem or compose a modern dance about your light bulb for the next Sunday service in which we will explore a number of light bulb traditions, including incandescent, three-way, long-life and tinted, all of which are equally valid past illuminescence. I can just imagine us singing this little fluorescent light of mine (laughs) or this little eco-friendly energy-saving light of mine. I'm going to let it shine but not during peak electrical use hours. (laughs) This joke expresses a shared understanding that Unitarian Universalism as a liberal faith is diverse and it's broad and it's sometimes vague and often so prone to change that we're not always clear about who we are or what we ultimately believe. As Paul Razor says, liberal theology is not for the faint of heart. It is an invitation, not a mandate. It invites us to be open to change without accepting change too casually. It asks us to pay attention. It is an eyes-wide-open faith, a faith without certainty. It points us in a general direction without telling us the specific destination. When asked what we stand for, Universalist Minister L.B. Fisher replied, we do not stand, we move. Perhaps our tagline should be, our theology is subject to change without notice. So as much as we try and not fear it, we do fear it, but we do try to embrace change and as the light bulb joke suggests, even celebrate it because it is a part of our theological tradition. Our theologians proclaim that revelation is not sealed, that the hand of God has not written out a final ending, that as the Congregationalists say, God is still speaking, and most importantly, that we will help determine the outcome of history. The Congregationalists are descendants, as are Unitarians of the Puritans, who embraced the Calvinist doctrine that human destiny had been determined from the beginning of time by a God who preselected some of God's children to spend eternity in heaven, while the rest were condemned to suffer in hell. With the advent of biblical criticism in the 1700s, however, a liberal streak developed in New England periodism, as the use of reason brought many ministers and theologians to the conclusion that human beings have the power within ourselves to lead a moral, upright, and holy life, thus saving ourselves. After centuries of theology that proclaimed that humankind is born sinful, that we are morally depraved, this was a radical idea, and it created a division which led to the Unitarian controversy of the early 1800s and the birth of the Unitarian denomination in this country. At the same time, Universalists were preaching their belief that a loving God could not and would not arbitrarily damn some of creation to hell, but would save all people. Both the Unitarians and the Universalists rejected predestination and believed instead in the goodness of God and the potential goodness of humankind. The idea that we are capable of saving ourselves and the final outcome has not been predetermined raises an important question about the nature of God, though. Could God actually be on the journey with us and be evolving and changing as we evolve and change? One of our members shared with me that he was reading a book about God, and one of the things that struck him was a story from the Older Testament. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses asks God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is God's name? What shall I say to them? God replied, I am who I am. But according to the book, the translation is wrong. It is actually, I will be who I will be, or I am becoming who I am becoming. This makes sense to me because I draw on process theology as one way to understand how God is at work in the world. Process theology came about during the 20th century as theologians expanded the idea that God is an ever-changing creative energy, that the outcome of history has not been determined, and that human beings are involved in God's work of creation. The basic theory of process theology is that in any given situation, God is able to create choices with the best possible outcome in mind. Because we are imperfect, however, we sin, which means making less than optimal choices, which bring about suffering and loss for ourselves and others. But because death and destruction are not the final answer, but are overcome by the creative forces of life, God is able to create new best choices for us to make. Process theologian Marjorie Suhaki stresses the mutuality between God and the world in her work. She believes that God's activity influences events in the world and in our lives, but at the same time, things we do affect God. She writes that God's touch is conditioned by the world and limited by the world, so that God must ever adapt divine possibilities to the reality of who we are becoming in the total movement of our lives. So if we give God lemons, God makes lemonade and invites us to have a glass of it. Spiritual lemonade on a summer day sounds refreshing, doesn't it? I believe process theology fits well with Unitarian Universalism because our faith proclaims that the final outcome has not been determined and that we are co-creators, invited to grow and change with creation as its divine energy renews and recreates itself, and we are invited to participate in the sacred work of renewing and transforming our world. Along with God and all of creation, we are becoming who we are becoming. The challenge is to open our hearts and to listen for God speaking to each one of us, directing us towards our destiny, which may not be as exotic as Santiago's destination, but is just as powerful in its potential to transform us. As our shepherd boy's story reaches its climax, he finally makes it to the Great Pyramids. The boy climbed the dune slowly. A full moon rose again in the starry sky. It had been a month since he had set forth from the oasis. The moon fell on the desert silence and on a man's journey in search of treasure. When he reached the top of the dune, his heart leapt. There, illuminated by the light of the moon and the brightness of the desert, stood the solemn and majestic pyramids of Egypt. Egypt. The boy fell to his knees and wept. If he wanted to, he could now return to the oasis, go back to Fatima, and live his life as a simple shepherd. He had learned all he needed to know and had experienced everything he might have dreamed of. As the story concludes, Santiago makes a stunning discovery. The treasure is to be found in the place he least expected, and it was never the destination that mattered, but the journey. It was not seeing the pyramids, beautiful though they were, that really mattered, but the adventure that helped him become the authentic, open, wise, spiritually aware human being he was destined to become. As I reflect on our history, I can't help but wonder if our ancestors came here 150 years ago thinking they would find treasure as well. Imagine their fears, their uncertainty, the voices telling them not to take the risks that brought them to the banks of a great river to build flour mills and harvest timber and share the universalist message of love and hope. And yet they walked forward, grounded in their faith, trusting that God and their hearts would guide them as they struggled to build the legacy that you and I have been called to nurture, honor, and continue to build on our journey. As we carry on their legacy, there will be risks, uncertainty, a lot of change, and our destination is ultimately unknown. Each of us will have to leave behind the comfortable and the familiar if we are truly willing to answer our call as keepers of the dreams and hopes of this church and of Unitarian Universalism. But wherever our journey is meant to take us, we won't just wander aimlessly. We can trust that the creative power of life is constantly directing us towards the greatest possible good and towards our fulfillment and happiness. We can know that we have one another as faithful companions for this journey, each of us bringing our wisdom, our experience, our compassion, and our dreams to guide us. As we begin a new chapter as a congregation, Are we willing to follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before us and are now part of the great cloud of witnesses accompanying us on our journey of faith towards that unknown destination? Are our hearts truly open to the adventures awaiting us? And as our new senior minister asks, are you and I ready to add the fuel of our lives to this faith? so that Unitarian Universalism will continue to burn brightly in the world? If we answer yes to these questions, and we choose to walk together forward in faith, perhaps Mary Oliver's poem is right. The stars will begin to burn through the clouds, and we will hear the voice within, keeping us company and guiding us on our journey, taking us places we had only dreamed about, and teaching us along the way what it means to be fully human and alive. May we say yes to this great adventure and yes to life. Amen. And may it be so.